0: Good morning. Good morning. Hey, if you would turn with me to Exodus, we will jump right in, and we'll get we'll get moving through this portion of the scripture uh, this week. Uh, we're in Exodus chapter thirty-three. We're actually finishing the chapter of 33, and we're just going to slide right in, transition relatively smoothly uh, through the first seven verses of chapter 34. And the reason we did this, we wanted to keep all this together, right? What God is saying at the end of chapter 33, He he says this, declares this, and then He does this in those first seven verses. So I didn't want to separate those two as though they're they're two separate events. They're actually the, the same event, in a sense, it's the declaring of it and then the exercising of it uh, in, in, in on uh, uh, one setting. And even though it's divided uh, by chapters, it's not a divided experience or, or uh, 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 an occurrence, okay? So that's the reason we did it like that, Ronnie, for me and for you to understand it, right? Okay, that's what we're going to do. Hey, listen, <clears throat> there's, there's something that I found out this morning and, and I want to commend Jeff Daugherty. Is Jeff Daugherty up here? There he is on the front row right there. Jeff Darty, I want to commend Jeff Daugherty on uh, uh, carrying on the, the beautiful tradition of um, husbands left by their wives to tend to their children, right? Uh, I don't know if you saw his children come in this morning, but they're wearing their little TDC uh, shirts and blue jeans. Bare essentials, Right? Right? I mean, they come in, they've got it written all over them, Daddy got me dressed, right? right? And so what I need to do is take a picture of them and just send it to Jess and say, you know, right? So I, I remember when, I, when Taylor would be left with me the two or three times she was left with me during her young life. Uh, my wife didn't have that much confidence in me, Miss Kathy. She, uh, after the very first experience, I remember uh, Taylor had a, an accident, and I ended up calling Carrie. I was spastic and whatnot, and after that moment, uh, her confidence just diminished. But, uh, you know, I did the same thing. I mean, it was a pair of shorts. It was a T-shirt. It was a long ponytail, and we just rode with it. And, and we'd walk into a venue wherever it might be, and Carrie would be waiting for us, and we'd walk in there, and you could see this disgusted look on her as though I had taken this beautiful, beautiful painting, this Picasso, and I had just ruined it, right? And so uh, when I saw uh, 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 uh Jeff this morning and bringing his two children like that, I just kind of swelled up with glee, and Derek was telling me about it, and Derek then found camaraderie in Jeff as well because we've seen Ivy when Derek dresses her, right? And so every one of us men who have small girls carry in us this genetic failing a gene, right, this gene in that just spoils and ruins the beautiful appearance of our daughters. So I commend Jeff this morning uh, being faithful to carry on that tradition. He is my brother. I knew there was something that, that uh, bound us together in the spirit uh, besides just the Lord. It was this camaraderie of failed, whatever you might call that. <laughs> but we are, we are going to look at the scripture this morning. And before we even go into that scripture I want to kind of uh, uh, bring us to this place, right? And remember uh, last week where, where we're at is, is the, the uh, uh, God reestablishing uh, with Moses and the children of Israel this covenant that he had already established. This is all after the failure of Aaron and the, the, uh, uh, the golden calf. We know the story. We've been covering it for the last several weeks. And uh, at this point last week in uh, chapter 33, there were some things that we addressed. And, and Moses came from a position last week that was very commendable because Moses made some declarations about going forward uh, without the presence of God uh, uh, surrounding them and enveloping them and going with them. And Moses said some things that you and I need to understand Uh, And Moses basically declared to God, he said, God, without your spirit, what is going to be the distinguishing factor between us and the rest of the peoples of the world? And you and I need to understand that, right? Without the presence and the spirit of God in our lives, there's not a lot that's going to distinguish us from the world. And then Moses goes on to declare to God, he says to God, he says, Lord, if, if you don't go with us, I'd just soon not go. As a matter of fact, we'll just stay right here. Because I don't want to go any place that your spirit in there. That should be the desire of your heart and my heart, right? That wherever God's spirit is, that is the place we want to find our residence in, right? And so Moses uh, makes these statements. There's this uh, uh, a dialogue uh, uh, taking place between him and God. And then God says to him, and it's a beautiful, beautiful response by God. He says to him, this, is, this isn't the first time he says this, but he said to him that he knew him, right? right? That I know you, and he says, by name, right? And it's this beautiful, beautiful declaration, and he says, and you have found favor with me, Right? Something to aspire. You know what I'm talking about? To hunger for the favor of God in our life. To live a life that's going to express God's favor on our life. Man, that's where we want to be, right? And so Moses um, uh, is, is uh, uh, having this, this conversation with God, and God says to him, My presence will be with you, right? And so, uh, and he extends, and we talked about it. We, we saw this image of God being revealed that was extremely gracious extremely grace driven right and at the end of that conversation this is where we're going to pick up today at the end of that conversation he ends up saying to God in regard to in regards to God's response to him lord now show me your glory right that's what he said many of us are familiar with that scripture so that's where we're going to pick up we're going to transition and we're going to understand Uh, more about God when we leave here today because we understand more about this scripture, okay? So let's pray that I might not sabotage this effort of God to speak into the hearts of those that are gathered here today uh, and instead, God's Spirit could speak through me into your heart and love you like you need to be loved this morning, right? Which I can't do, right? But His Spirit can do that. I can't communicate to 150 people 150 messages because you live in 150 different places, but God can, right, take the same words and minister to each individual, right? So let's, let's pray this morning, right? Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you move this morning in the hearts of those that are here. In every person, I pray that you would create an audience in their spirit. An audience not to be listening to a a vessel of clay, but an audience who listens to the spirit, the treasure that is found in the clay. I pray, Father, that this morning that your spirit would just ease this moment, that you would settle on this place and the wounded would find comfort The broken would find healing. The hardened heart, oh God, be broken and made tender and receptive to the truth of your word. We thank you for your goodness this morning and we trust that it will see us through to the very end to accomplish your purpose in our lives, Lord. We love you and we bless you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's, let's take a quick look at this. You can turn with me to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. All right? And this is where we're going to begin. All right? It says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. Right? Mo- now this sounds somewhat uh, 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 not very tactful, doesn't it? In this translation, it sounds uh, not, not really tactful, as though, God is, or as though Moses is making this request of God without a sense of his own self-awareness, as though he's calling the shots. Now, show me your glory. The Hebrew word for now is the word not. We're just going to replace the O with an A, right? No, and it doesn't, it does, it can mean now. There's applications where it does mean now. It can be translated as now. But in all reality, the word is more uh, describing something as a beseeching or a pleading or a praying or a begging of God, right? So we start to understand with that understanding where Moses' posture is addressing God in this moment. It's from a pleading praying, beseeching of God to show me his glory. Show me your glory, right? right. And so this is what the scripture says. This is what the scripture says. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and me live, right? I want you to see a few things in this verse as we move through, okay? I need you to get this. We're going to have to understand this to to really see the end product this morning, right? Because what, what Moses asked for is God's glory. What God and how God responds to That request of seeing His glory is Him expressing His goodness. So what He's doing is He's he's basically uh, connecting the, the equivalent of His glory to His goodness. Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, my goodness will pass before you, right? That's what He says. That's what He says right here. It says, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So God's response is equating His goodness to His glory, right? Now, I want you to understand, the word goodness in this sense is not a a descriptive adjective or whatnot, but it's a masculine noun. So this isn't uh, uh, describing an attribute of God. It's describing the essence of God. It is describing God as goodness. I mean the very essence of what goodness is. Right? Right? And you remember in Mark chapter 10, do you remember uh, when the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Hey, good master, what must a man do to, to inherit eternal life? You remember this? You remember what Jesus' response to the rich young ruler was? He was? Why do you call me good? Do you remember that? Why do you call me good? He's not saying he's not good. He's asking of the young ruler, why is it do you uh, assign an attribute or the essence of God to me? The real question in reading between the lines is Jesus saying, do you think I'm God? Why would you ascribe the goodness of God to me? And Jesus goes on to say what? No one is good except God alone. Not saying he wasn't God, but asking or imploring this guy almost for a confession Who do you think I am? But this is the essence of who God is. His goodness is the essence of who he is. And then he says this. Now this is very, very important. Because he he takes his glory, what is asked of him, and he, he, he equates his glory to his goodness, and then he describes his goodness. Are you with me? I need you to track with me this morning. Right? You need to follow this. He says this. And I will I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence. And then he says this. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Shana is the Hebrew word and it means check this out. It means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. Do you get this? He said this is part of my goodness. This is how my goodness is expressed. I am one who is predisposed. the desire within me is to stoop in favor to an inferior. Guess who the inferiors are at 100 Hobson Way in Elizabethtown, Kentucky this morning. It's you and me. We are the inferiors. It should excite you and it should excite me to understand that part of God's goodness is expressed in his desire to stoop. To stoop down, to bend down, to, to give to an inferior mercy. Right? I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. But that's not where it stops. That's not where it stops. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy Check it out. You've got to understand it. Man, he's starting, he's really opening up what this goodness really means right here. He says, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Racham, Racham, the word for compassion in the Hebrew. Listen, it means compassion. It means love, right? But let, let me say this to you. The Hebrew isn't about just giving you definitions of words. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, the language itself has certain elements that are connected to God that no other language has. Literally meaning that the language, the the, the dialect itself was constructed to convey certain things about God that no other language has built within it. And this word right here, this word right here, the racham, That means compassion and love also means and can be translated with the understanding of the womb. The womb. Do you know what God is saying here? That he's stooping down to an inferior to show mercy and his love or his compassion or to impart to us a condition that is womb-like. This is what I'm wanting to give you. And what is the womb-like? What is the womb like? Every mother in here knows. Right? Right? A child is fed without work. Right? Right? A child is nurtured. A child is literally breathed for. The warmth of the womb. The provision of the womb. The protection of the womb. God is literally saying in this moment, I want to womb you. Do you not get? I want to. This is my desire. This is what I want to be. This is how I want to communicate my heart to you. This is God. Listen, listen. Don't fool yourselves into thinking. That a grace-driven church or a grace-preaching church is a, is a church that is uh, 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 separated from the balance of the Scripture. I will tell you this morning, grace is the prevailing, dominant expression of the, of the God of the Bible. And everyone in here, whether that appeals to you or not, it should appeal to you. Because when we stand before God... On that day, believe me, it'll be grace that we're standing on. It won't be our works or the things that we did or the things that we said. Believe me, in that moment when we stand before God, it'll be grace that appeals to our heart above and beyond everything else. This is true. This is true. Check this out. Hold on. And he says, I will have compassion, on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Okay? No one may see. Now we're, we're, we're about to transition. Listen to this. Then the Lord said, right? Now there, there's this small, what is perceived as like a rebuttal. You know, because his request was to see the glory of God. But God says to Moses, but no man can see my face, Right? Right? That's what he says. And it feels like a rebuttal. Have you ever had a rebuttal from God? Where the request that you've made to God, God said, eh. Or it feels like an eh. You know what I'm talking about? Every one of us have been there, right? And, and you feel like that, that God just stops you right there. And this thing don't move forward at all. There's no progression. It's just a hard no. That's not what's happening here. It may feel like this. In that last statement when he said no man may see my face but let's read this very next verse then the lord said there is a place let me let me paraphrase that for you but there is a place right you see this right right you see this he says there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock now, this is a beautiful, right, a beautiful invitation where God expresses his desire to honor the request of Moses, right? He says, there is a place where you may stand, all right, that is near me. Now, think about in the book of Acts, when Stephen's being stoned, you remember that? Because the, the question then becomes, uh, what is near to God, right? What is there? Well, we know when we read the, the account of Stephen in the book of Acts, we know who is near to God. And it is the rock. Right? And this is what the scripture says in Acts chapter 7 verse 55 through 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. What we experience in Jesus transcends even the experience of Moses in the Old Testament. Do you realize that? Do you realize that these were the words of Jesus? Said the prophets of old longed to see what you all have seen. And so Stephen sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's nothing more near to God than Jesus, Bobby, standing at the right hand of God, right? This is a beautiful image. Look, Stephen said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a beautiful, thought. and so God says, to him, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, right, and you will see my back, but my face must not be, what, seen, right? Now, I want you to understand something here. This is a, a anthropomorphism. Yeah, big word, right? It's when we attribute certain attributes of men to God. For explanation's sake. For example, in this scripture, in this portion of scripture, God doesn't have a back. God doesn't have a hand like you and I have a hand. These are are terms used to express the working of God so that you and I would understand. What the scripture actually means, when he talks about you seeing my back, is you're going to witness or experience or at least see the remnants or the effect of my glory having passed by. You're not watching me pass by. You don't even see me pass by. The scripture already says that he had hid him. In the cleft of the rock, he had covered him, right? He doesn't see him pass by, but what he sees is, the, is, is what is in the wake of the glory of God passing by. What do people see in our wake? When our lives interact with people and we're passing through... The seasons of the lives of our neighbors and our co workers and our friends and our families, what is being expressed in the wake of our passing by? When they see our back, is it a wake of destruction? Is it a wake of pain? Is it a wake of confusion, hurt? Or do people experience in our lives the expression of Jesus that every time they come into contact with us, every time we seem to pass cross uh, or cross paths with them, we're leaving behind an expression, the residue of the glory of God that resides in us upon them. Right? You know these people, right? You know who these people are. These are the people that you're attracted to. These are the people you go looking for. These are the people that you're desiring to have communication with. These are the people that you're calling at the late hours of the night. These are the people that you can't wait to get up in the morning because your heart is so... These are the people that you want to engage with that broken and wounded heart. These are those people. You know these people. We want to be those people, don't we? Don't we want to be those people? I want to be those people. Danny Nichols, I want to be that person. That when people call me, people engage me, they leave measurably better than when they found me. Right? Now is that our testimony? Is that something that's really taking place? Or do people leave us with a more confused view of who God really is, somewhat distorted, muddied up, because what we said God is and how we're conducting ourselves in their presence just doesn't jive. Oh, may that not be us. Oh, may that not be me. Right? His glory is represented in His goodness, and His goodness is expressed, right, in His mercy and compassion. Remember this. So this is what God says now, right? He said, this is what I'm going to do. Now He's about to do it. And He says right here in verse 1, He says, the Lord said to Moses, check this out. This is so incredible. Let, Let me say this. Let me say this. When you encounter people who say the God expressed in the Old Testament looks a lot different than Jesus. Man, God in the Old Testament was tough. God in the Old Testament, man, was was judgment-driven. When you run into people like that, who say things like that, I'm telling you, they're not reading the Scripture in context. Because when you read the Scripture in context, I'm telling you, there's a level of continuity that flows from the heart of the Father and just meshes beautifully and divinely into the life and expression of Jesus. There is no contradiction. I'm telling you, it is the image of Jesus, and Jesus is the image of the Father. That's what Jesus says to the disciples. When you have seen me, you've seen the Father, right? That's what, I'm telling you, it's, it's a beautiful expression. So when you encounter someone like that, understand they do not understand the Scripture. Check this out. Check this out. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Mm. Remember the two tablets, the original two tablets? Remember that? Moses comes down. Moses is upset, man. Right? The people have gone crazy. Uh, 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 they're, They're deep in debauchery and insanity. And Moses takes the covenant, and remember the, the tablets, and he, he destroys them. He, he breaks them, right? And it's a metaphorical and literal expression, right? It's, it's literally breaking them, but metaphorically representing that the people had broken the covenant, right? Right? So God says to him, you chisel out two tablets, and you bring them to me, and then I will write, as I wrote on the first ones, The commands, the covenant, right? Isn't that what he says? But he says something else in this scripture. (laughs) Listen to this, listen to this. This He says, like the first ones. Did you get that? God is telling Moses, go and chisel out tablets like the first ones. Oh, come on, man. Are you kidding me? Do you know who chiseled out the first tablets? Do you know? Do you know what the scripture says? The scripture says that God, it was the work of God that did that, right? The tablets, scripture literally says the tablets were the work of God. And now God is saying to Moses, you go chisel out tablets just like the original. What? What? And then you bring them to me. That's what he says, right? And he says, because you broke them. And right here is this beautiful image of God. Understanding who had broken the tablets. Making a way for the tablets to be reconstituted. Now, Moses can't chisel out these tablets just like the tablets God had made. But it does identify the failing nature of the law, does it not? That are working, we know this is an impossibility, right? Yet Moses does this. As a matter of fact, the scripture will allude to the fact that he got busy with being obedient. Because the next morning he's up there on the mountain with these tablets that he had chiseled out. You know what's to be learned right there? Is that God prefers obedience over performance. I believe there was grace when the tablets were given to God and the efforts of Moses lay open to God's. Divine eye, he could see the flaws in the tablets. And Moses brings them up there and he gives them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the fear when God is saying, Your works must measure up to my works? Bible, can you imagine that? Your tablets, you, they've got to be just like the first ones. And you see all the flaws, and you see all the chips, and you see all the, the marring of the tablets. And yet he goes up there. He goes up there. And this is what he says. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen with you or seen anywhere on the mountain. You know who that's leaving out? That's leaving out Joshua. I don't know how many of you understand this. Joshua ascended the mountain the first time with Moses. As a matter of fact, you go to Exodus chapter 24, verse 12 and 13, and it says, then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And then on their return, remember the scripture says that it was Joshua first who identified the singing in the camp to Moses. He says to Moses as they descend the mountain, I hear singing in the camp. Remember that? Now God is saying to Moses, you and you alone come up to the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. <laughs> right, Exodus chapter 32, verse 16 says this the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets, right? Right? What God wants out of Moses and what God wants out of you and me isn't the perfection of a given work, task. It is the obedience. It is the obedience to follow God even when our performance isn't up to par. Because if you're waiting for your performance to be up to par before you're obedient to God, you will never be obedient to God. And you know this, and I know this. If I'm waiting for perfect people, to help lead this church, then I will be waiting forever. And if you're waiting for a perfect person to pastor or help lead this church, then you'll be waiting forever. But what you're looking for and what I'm looking for is flawed and perfect people who are willing to be obedient. Right? That's what we're looking for. Not perfection, but obedience. It's the straight line with a crooked stick idea. Which only God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Right, ben? Let's read. Let's read through this. Let's read through this. I love what Jeremiah says. Because what Moses comes up there and does, he gives them these tablets that were expressed out of his own work, which obviously isn't perfection. But it isn't the tablets that bring validity to the contents of the tablets. It's the content that will be written on the tablets that brings the value to the tablets. This is what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said this in regards to you and me and to the children of Israel. And then Paul reiterates this. He says, this is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians this, but we, what? We have this treasure in jars of clay, right? God has deposited the contents of his heart into us who are flawed tablets to say the least, right? Right? And one of the beautiful things about this is when we see God reveal himself, his goodness prior to him requesting Moses to perform an act of obedience, right? It's like the grace goes before the obedience. Now you and I know this is true, right? You and I know this is true. Now, it it doesn't matter to me whether you're an Armenian, you're a a Calvinist, you're a provisionist or whatever else. The reality of the Scripture is we know that there's grace being extended. There's the stooping down of God prior to God making a request of Moses to chisel out the stones and to come up on the mountain. His obedience is a response to the grace, right? Do you remember the story in John chapter 8 when the woman is called in the act of adultery? You remember this? Remember the accusers bring her to Jesus? And Jesus does the Jesus thing, right? And then everybody kind of scatters, the oldest from the youngest. And you remember what Jesus says to the woman right there? He says, "There's a woman, in what world you're accusers." And the woman says, "I have none." And Jesus says, "Repent." No, he doesn't. He says, "Neither do I condemn you. Grace." And then what does he say? Go and leave your life of sin. That's what he says. Now listen, a, I, love you, I love you guys who, who are accustomed to hearing that scripture being quoted as Jesus saying, now go and sin no more, right? Right? How many of you have heard that, right? Well, let me explain something to you before we move real quickly. Okay, let me explain something to you. You understand that's not what he's saying, right? It doesn't even make sense that I'm going to give a command to a woman who's not been empowered by the Spirit to live above sin. That's not what he said. That makes absolutely no sense. But when you understand Jesus saying, leave your life of sin, that makes complete sense. But all of that is a response to grace. Neither do I condemn you. Now obey me. Now obey me. And so Moses chisels out the tablets. He goes up the mountain, right? He goes up the mountain. And you know what the scripture says? The scripture says in Verse 28, and he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God honored Moses' obedience. He honored Moses' obedience. Now what if Moses don't go up the mountain? What if Moses doesn't chisel out the stone? What if this doesn't happen? But Moses did. How many things in our lives, let's just be be honest, how many things in our life where we have pushed God back, we have not been obedient, And we have no idea what we have lost. We have no idea what we will not experience. Simply because we were not being obedient. The fear of being obedient. The fear of what it might cost you, where it may take you. All of those things rob us us of this expression of God in our lives. Here, let's let's move on and, and we'll close, okay? And the scripture says, let's go back to verse 4. So Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Now this is where God, right here in this moment, this is where God does what he told Moses he was going to do in chapter 33. Check this out. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. As he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. Now listen, this isn't Trent telling you who God is. This is God telling you who God is. And when God is proclaiming what he wants you to know about himself, you need to understand what he's about to say. This in scripture you dismiss. God is defining himself, who he is, right? I mean, he's proclaiming about himself. Let's check this out. This is absolutely essential that you get this. And this is what he says. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. (laughs) Come on. Oh God, thank you for being slow to anger. For my conduct has produced a response of anger which would be justified. And yet you have, you have shown yourself to be slow to respond in anger to me and to you. Maintaining love To thousands. Mm -hmm. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Do you not read this? Do you not hear what he's saying? This is me, Moses. And when you read this and you understand this and you see the grace and the mercy of God, this is what God says of Himself. Don't come to me trying to redefine God out of some scripture you pulled out of context. These are the words of God about God Himself. I'm not making this up, I'm not defining them. It's the words of Yahweh, right? Jehovah. This is who I am. And if you remember nothing this morning, remember that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is so grace, so much mercy. And then what I'm about to read to you is likewise still grace and still mercy. And this scripture has been so distorted and misunderstood and misrepresented as though this scripture offsets, maligns, or contradicts what God had previously spoken of himself. As a matter of fact, it just simply reiterates his slowness to anger, his compassion, His all of those things. And this is what the scripture says. And it's hard to see it, but you have to see it within the context of God describing himself. And he says this. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, right? He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generations. That doesn't sound graceful. That doesn't sound slow to anger. That doesn't sound forgiving, does it? It doesn't. But the word punish in the Hebrew isn't what you and I think of the word punish. It's not communicated like that. It's pakad and it means to attend to. And let me say this to you and I want you to get a good grasp of this. This is grace because this is a warning. He is saying to fathers, generational leaders, understand the sin will have to be dealt with. And if you produce like this, this sin is, I will have to deal with it with you. When it produces in the lives of your children, I'll have to deal with it the same. And when it produces in the life of your grandchildren, I'll have to deal with it the same. And when it produces in the life of your great-grandchildren, I will have to deal with it just the same. It isn't saying that the children are going to be, quote, unquote, punished for the acts of the sin. As a matter of fact, pull up the last verse there, Clark. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, read this. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor the parent share the guilt of the child, right? You see this? The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. He's not saying that the acts of the fathers will then levy a punishment against the sons. He's saying you will sow into your lives, into the lives of your children, a reproducing conduct that will merit the same punishment and the same discipline that I must attend to. Paul Conley says... To attend, I must be there as well. Do you not see that as gracious? That a father would look at his children and say, Oh, don't do this. Don't do this. And each and every one of us have experienced this as well. We know what that's about. I ain't talking about generational curses. As though God would inflict a curse upon a generation of people. I'm talking about the idea of sowing and reaping. I'm talking about a violent father raising a son who is instilled with a violent disposition to respond to problem solving like his dad, which was violent Bobby. I'm talking about a a drunken father who would espouse tendencies in his son then to be a drunken son and to respond to situations and circumstances of similar manner. You understand what I'm talking about? And when God says this to Moses, man, this thing is bathed in grace, mercy, and love. You think he's not trying to impart to them the understanding and knowledge to prevent this destruction in the lives of the generations to follow? Dad, Mom... If you knew the decisions you were making right now would produce the same devastation in the lives of your children, the way you respond to things, would you be pleased when your son starts to respond the same way? Would you be pleased, mom, when your daughter starts to respond the same way? But if you possess that knowledge that this is exactly what's going to happen and God will have to deal with them just like He has to deal with you, would it not then, under the banner of grace, bring your focus closer and and, and more intact with the grace and and obedience to God? Right? Okay. We're, We're going to have a baptism. You guys can go ahead and get ready, Ben. We're going to have a baptism this morning. But... When Clark was a little boy, he was a little boy. Hard to believe. But he was a little fella. And the little fella, that being Clark Evans, <coughs> was a little stinky at times. A little stinky at times. You know, it's that, that sinful disposition he was born into. You know what I'm talking about? It began to express itself. I don't know, he, he was probably a week old. You start praying over them out of the week, Lord. I cast out whatever's in this kid, right? You know, I cast out the, the demon of non sleep, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't go home thinking, oh, Trin's in that demonic stuff. He's that devil behind a bush everywhere kind of thing. No, that's not I'm just kidding, right? But I remember having to tell Clark Evans as a little boy, hey, I mean, a little boy. I'm talking about a toddler. Hey, don't do this. And then one morning, we were getting ready for church, and mom's in there, uh, putting on her beautiful, right? And she had her uh, curling out, hot iron out, and Clark Evans roaming through here. He's just big enough to be a toddler, you know, or being a toddler, you know, just. Ro- I said, hey, don't touch that. It's hot. That's hot. I leave the room, Carrie's in there. A few minutes later, Aah! I hear it. Being the good father, I come running, about like this. I walk in there, and this is the face I see. Throw it up there, Clark. Right there. That's the face I see. Just like, I tell you, it's straight up dead on, just like that. Hey, hold on. Pull back. Listen to a story. He looked just, I'm telling you, just like that. And he had, oh, he ain't a doll. And it, take that picture down. (laughs) Big tear, crocodile tear streaming down his face and his blistered little finger up there. But see, I had extended grace to him. It was grace. The warning was grace. You know why I had extended that to him? Because I knew there was a danger there. And you know what I didn't want? I didn't want the blistered finger of a little boy that I loved. Don't touch that, son. And then he cries out to me. I go back there. And there it is, the little blistered finger. And Though grace was ignored, mercy was given. Oh, this is the beauty of God. And I take the little finger, and I soak it in the, uh, the ice water, and the tears begin to dry up, and this burning sensation begins to cease a little bit. But it could have been avoided. You know? It could have been avoided. And it's the same thing right here. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. When he says this to the fathers about the guilty not going unpunished or unvisited, unattended to, the heart of God was saying... Avoid this, right? Avoid this. And so that is the beauty of who God is. That's what we find in this text. And the response of Moses to this we'll get to next week. But now what's important is our response to God. Understanding, but this is who he is. This is who he is, man. This is who he is, a sister. Oh, he loves you. He does. And he's bent towards you in a favorable manner to express his goodness, to change your life in Jesus. Right? Right? And so this morning, that's what we're about to celebrate up here is that two young lives at such a young age have come to the realization of the mercy of God, has come to the realization of one who stoops down to show favor to an inf- They understand? These are little kids. How can we as adults not understand this? Yesterday I called Ben. I said, hey man, our kid's still good to be baptized tomorrow. He said, Trent, He said, when you called, I had just sat down with them. And I had just gone over the gospel with them. I had just shared. I wanted them to know. And I needed to know that they knew. Right? And so this morning, these two lives are going to be, come on up here. they run out the back door. Yeah, you're good to go right there. And these two lives right here, at that age, are experiencing this truth and reality. What a sad thought that some of us would leave this morning not possessing what they possess. And not understanding what they understand, right? But that didn't have to be the case. That didn't have to be the case. Because this morning at 100 Hompson Way, he stoops. <laughs> ah, man. Come on, man. He stoops. He bends favorably and m- with mercy to you and to me, right? Right? Thank God he's a God who bends and stoops. We're going to pray this morning and then, hold on. Yeah, you can come on in, brother. And, uh, and then we're going to perform these baptisms. Okay, Father, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we love Your Word. Oh, God, we love how it just speaks to us. We love how it comes alive, Lord, and the reality of who You are, Lord, is unveiled and exposed to us, and we see you, Lord, in this type of a light, and we understand because of your grace and your mercy, Lord, we're energized, Lord, through your spirit, Lord. We're empowered through your spirit. And it's your grace, Lord, that leads us into this relationship. Your word said, no man can come to the Father except the spirit draws him. Oh, God. We thank you for the stooping and the bending and the drawing that has enabled each of us to approach the Father and as Stephen said, in Jesus to see his glory. So Father, for any heart that is here this morning who is wrestling with the surrender to God, the embracing of the message of Jesus, I pray, Father, this morning their hearts would be opened to receive that. To the one who is in that place where they've allowed distance to separate them, those who have allowed their relationship to grow cold and stagnant, I pray, oh God, this morning that they would say as the men on the the road to Emmaus, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us? Oh, I pray, Father, this morning that their hearts would burn within them to come home. Yes. To a Father who delights in showing his goodness, his glory. So, Father, I, I pray that this would be the decisions of the hearts of those that are here. You know each heart. You know each spirit, Lord. You know each person. You know what's really taking place behind the scenes. And so, Father, I pray that that work, Lord, would commence. And you be the one who initiates and starts it all. The author. You would show yourself to be the finisher and the completer of our faith. In Jesus, but oh God, may we all have the beginning place. And may that place be today for some. But may we all have our place. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, "Amen." amen. Amen. All right, listen.